This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. Today's episode brings you cybersecurity strategies in government. Here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders in cybersecurity strategies. With me on today's show are Wanda Jones Heath, Chief Information Security Officer for the U.S. Air Force. Alma Cole, Chief Information Security Officer, Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection. Tony Hubbard, Principal, Government Cybersecurity, KPMG. Venus Goodwine with USDA. Jim Richburg, Field CISO, Fortinet. Greg Crabb, Chief Information Security Officer, United States Postal Service, and MK. Palmore, Vice President, Field Chief Security Officer, Palo Alto Networks. Well, if you think about, we've talked about on this show, healthcare IT, we've talked about cloud computing, we've talked about mobile, we've talked about next-gen networks, we've talked about AI and ML, robotics process automation, all of these capabilities layered with the executive orders, the President's management agenda, cloud smart policy that came out the Technology Modernization Fund, you bring all those things together and they're really focusing on transforming these agencies and enabling the mission. And I'll admit, you know, for a long time, it, the perception was always, oh, the cybersecurity guys, you know, they're just gonna say no. And now that community is really saying yes, right? We're gonna enable the mission and here's how we're going to do it. And we're gonna make sure that we do it properly because we know if we don't, there's unintended consequences, right? Uh, Wanda, let's start with you. We always like to start off and just talk about, you know, sort of the the program state of the state. Uh, Give me a couple of examples, if you will, of areas where you guys are making progress in the Air Force. Big subject, you've got embedded systems, et cetera. Um, What's happening over the Air Force with cybersecurity? So, Luke, um, great to be here. Um, Some some exciting things are going on in the Air Force. Um, Some of the things that we're working on, of course, is risk management. Um, Cybersecurity, as you mentioned, um, has always been, you know, the folks who say no. So now we are trying to make sure that cybersecurity is in the forefront. Um, One of the things that I've been working on for the last eight months is um, our risk management approach. Uh, We're starting to look at it from a different lens, looking at it from what can we do now knowing the vulnerabilities and the threats um, that we face. One of the things that I'm looking at is we have three keys um, as we move out on uh, understanding how do we get to an answer of yes. One being, let's start with our cyber hygiene. Um, That is 80% of the solution. If we start looking at the basics of things that we should have done in the beginning, but now we're trying to go back and do now, um, we can catch up on some of the things that we missed um, along the development cycle. The next one is looking at um, what can we do to continuously monitor monitor the uh, systems that we are now hardened and fixed. Um, Industry standards, going through industry practices, using pen testing. Um, We've employed that throughout um, some of our systems, Mm -hmm. and we have been amazed. As you know, in the news, we recently did it on Cloud One. 
Um, that was one of the things that I fought for because I knew that we had some work to do. And so by doing uh, pen testing, using bug bounty approach, we're able to find the things we just could not find through mere paperwork. So that was one of the things that we're focusing on. And lastly is our Kessel Run. That's been in the news as well, where we're talking about how do we certify a software factory so that the development process includes cybersecurity um, approaches throughout testing, going back and looking at the code, things like that. So we're making a lot of um, good strides Sounds in the like Air Force. So um, we're, we're keep moving um, and pressing ahead. And there's a, always that delicate balance of risk and, and, and sort of going back and trying to plug the holes of some aging technology versus embedding the security into the, the new environment. Alma, tell us about what's happening over at, uh, at DHS at CBP, and there's a lot, lot of moving parts there, a lot of activity as you guys modernize those environments and enable your workforce. Yeah, there absolutely has been, and you know, picking up on, on what you had said as well, so we're doing all the same things as far as cyber hygiene's always gonna be the most critical thing that you have to pay, pay attention to every day. So uh, you have most of the, the attacks that would happen are happening are actually happening against known vulnerabilities. So as long as you're going back and you're patching those, that's a lot of the issue. But uh, when you look at the overall framework for how you, how you do cybersecurity, so you have, you have to identify all your assets, you have to know what's on your network, you have to actually harden, protect, and patch, and control those assets in a protective way. But then beyond that, you actually have to ha make sure you have a proper operation to be able to detect when there's an issue, respond to that, and recover from those. So we've been trying to do a better job of going back and assuring that we have complete coverage across that entire spectrum of life cycle, where we're paying the right attention, amount of attention to uh, the hardening and the response, uh, but also that we know that we can we can find uh, a bad guy if their bad guy does happen to get into the network and that we can really have alerting based on that. So we've also gone back and we're doing a lot more penetration testing. Uh, we were the first component within DHS to be able to implement a bug bounty program, so that's a new program for us, and that's been going very, very well, because we can never have enough penetration testers within our organization. And then strategically, we've built out for the security operation a chief security architect function. And the job of that chief security architect is to ensure that as we have the cloud infrastructures are coming up, as we have all of the uh, IoT type devices that are coming on the network, as we look to really modernize the way that is we provide our IT out to the field, uh, that we have security built in like from the, from the get-go and that that's embedded rather than having to come around behind and try to bolt security on afterwards. Um, a big area for that within the cloud has been uh, with the security DevOps, the Sec DevOps pipeline, having security uh, done to the code as it's going through the pipeline so that we know security is built in versus having to come around after it's already deployed and then do our security scanning and then decide whether or not it's something that should be allowed in production uh, or for that matter, you know, just perhaps missing things that would go into production and just put the whole agency It really is the name of the game is to getting in front of that uh, life cycle, if you will, and, and incorporating it right into the build. It's uh, uh, really makes for uh, uh, a real uh, efficient way of operating. Tony, you've been working in the uh, in the uh, risk management world for a long time, so tell us about what's happening at KPMG. Give us maybe a couple of examples of what you're seeing out there these days. Yeah, well, I, I certainly would like to echo what Wanda and Alma were saying around the, the concept of hygiene. You know, there's, I think there's still a lingering perception that, that cyber is this highly technical 
realm, and there's certainly elements to that, but when you look at some of the most significant breaches and vulnerabilities, in many cases, it's a low-hanging fruit or it's a, a, the weakest link in the chain. And so I think, as Alma was saying, just making sure that you've got good hygiene in place, patching your systems, sometimes the, the less exciting elements, the training and awareness, just making sure that your community is aware of the risks out there. So I think that it just, you just can't, you can't emphasize that point enough. And then what we're seeing a lot of progress in the broader area with a lot of the agencies is just around that concept of risk management that Wanda was talking about. I think there's more recognition now that the concept of preventing all vulnerable of, of all breaches is that that concept has kind of left the station. Now it's more about, okay, the assumption is we're going to have a breach or we've already been breached. And so now how do we make sure that we're isolating our most important assets we're segmenting our environment such that our crown jewels are protected, understanding that we might need to sacrifice some other assets, but we just can't protect everything in the same way. And I think that transition to more of a that true risk management framework idea, I think is we're seeing a lot of progress with a lot of agencies. Sure, and that sort of multi-layered concept, and just being aware very uh, you know quickly that you 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 have a problem, right, and right. knowing that you have it, and then being able to to deal with and address it, you know, that resiliency is really important. Uh, Vinice, how about at USDA? I don't think anyone, uh, or at least a lot of people, don't seem to realize the vastness of USDA worldwide. You've got foreign service officers all over the all over the globe, you know, and the footprint that you have across this country is just incredible. And I, I certainly have a soft spot for the farmers and the like. So uh, tell us about uh, all the activity that's going on at, uh, at USDA. So thank you, Luke. So one of the things, you know, USDA being a lighthouse organization because of the work that we're doing with the Centers of Excellence. So in part of that, in modernizing um, our security um, posture, we're, we've taken on the initiative to establish, um, to complete a um, security operation consolidation. And what that's going to entail is, as you mentioned, all of our uh, mission areas are everywhere, and some of them are doing SOC functions or SOC-like functions on their own. So mm -hmm. the purpose of this initiative is to bring all of those activities under one roof and have one enterprise SOC, and then we will provide that as a service to the mission areas. Okay. And that in and of itself is a big task, but the, that enterprise view then, but it allows us to know, as my colleagues staff, you know, talked about, what's on my network? who's on my network, what's happening on my network. And that view gives me an opportunity to be more proactive as opposed to reactive, which is what we've done in the past. So we've taken this, this process and, and to, to look at, you know, first of all, what is a SOC and exactly what should it be doing in accordance with the cybersecurity framework published by NIST, but also the people portion of that SOC. And so using the NICE framework to identify the right skills in the SOC that will help us to do the things like identify anomalies and detection or in order to be um, proactive in that way. And then also when you talk about the SOC, what about the processes within the SOC? It's not just incident response. We want to have the ability and the capabilities to also to do threat hunting within our network as well. Some of my colleagues talked about pen testing and having that inherent capability is also key within a SOC because that also allows us again to be proactive with finding our vulnerabilities. So um, as you see, and then also the tools portion, I cannot forget the tools piece of that because you All know sometimes, 
And there's right? a lot of them. And so what we've started to do is not to chase the, the shiny toy, but mm -hmm. really to focus on capabilities. And then having this enterprise SOC helps, will help us to sunset some of those um, tools that provide the same capability. So this effort in and of itself, I think, will, will be a cost saver for the department as a whole. Yeah, oddly enough, I had a long conversation yesterday with a bunch of uh, uh, cyber experts, all, all, all state of men's, and we were talking about zero trust, and you just sort of get an appreciation of all the tools and all the, the journey that you've gone on, that we've all gone on over the last 10 years. Speaking of tools and technology and capabilities, Jim, tell us what's happening at Fortinet. You all sit in a very unique position there where you're seeing a lot of different things. Uh, tell us about some activities that are going on across the community. Well, thank you, Luke. Well, well as you noted, we really are positioned as the creators of the solutions, the products and services that enable the types of solutions that my, my colleagues have talked about implementing. And I'd like to highlight two briefly. One is what we're doing in terms of a unified platform approach. Uh, we often talk about the attack or vulnerability surfaces growing exponentially. That makes our job in, in cybersecurity that much harder. But the reality is industry is increasingly, move, increasingly moving in the direction of saying you can have devices, virtual or physical, that can be at the edge, in the case of a, of a classic wired network or software-defined network at the access points that will capture Wi-Fi and IoT, the network core, and then you replicate those same capabilities inside the cloud. So if you look at that, you say, what I've done is I have instrumented that growing surface that things can come at me from, and those instrumented devices also have the ability to take action. They are control devices as well. So if you can somehow manage to put the data coming from all those places together in real time, which gets into my second issue, AI, mm -hmm. you have the ability to actually take action. Again, I just joined Fortinet five months ago after 34 years in federal service. And in part of the time- your service. Thank, thank you, I was Thank the one who worked on Comprehensive National Cybersecurity Initiative, the CNCI, and the holy grail for CNCI was we were trying to build a common operating picture of threats to federal networks, uh, shared situational awareness of what was happening, and the ability to respond at machine speed. And if you build out this vision of unified technology platforms and their ecosystems, the products don't all have to come from one vendor, but the data is interoperable and pooled, and you say, and I have the ability to have policy-driven automated action, I've actually reached that holy grail that we strove for in the last 15 years of my federal career. Wow, um, it's uh, uh, fascinating, the AI piece of this, embedding that into enabling a lot of the security capabilities uh, is, uh, is a real game changer. Uh, Greg, um, I don't know if anyone can even imagine the scale that you operate at the United States Postal Service, and I think every you know citizen certainly has a relationship with the uh, the mail service in one form or another. And I would say it's top notch, by the way. <laughs> I love my mail service. Um, but tell us about uh, sort of what's going on there and the, the sort of the things that the CISO needs to wrap their head around in dealing uh, at that level of uh, complexity. Thank you very much, Luke, and thank you for your. Uh, uh, being a great customer of the Postal Service, and I believe uh, thank our listeners for interacting with uh, with the Postal Service on a day in and day out, day out basis. Um, at the Postal Service, we've been trying to drive a culture of cybersecurity. It takes over 600,000 professionals to deliver uh, the mail for you every day. And at the Postal Service, it's important for us to 
not only uh, understand the cyber threats that each of our employees faces, but they have to deal with a lot of technology in order to deliver our customers' experience. And so training and awareness is an extremely important program for us. Uh, we've got an award-winning program called CyberSafe at, at USPS, and through that program, we provide training to all of our employees, and we provide awareness messaging for not only our employees, but our customers and our business partners as well. Uh, we also run a very robust counter-phishing program. Uh, our employees are our first line of defense to cyber threats, and it's important for us to understand the types of lures that they're susceptible to and how we can go about uh, creating behavioral change among our employees so that they don't fall for those types of schemes. So uh, delivering on that uh, cyber aware culture is extremely important as we look to the future for the Postal yeah, Service. Every employee has to be a cyber warrior, right? I mean, it's just, uh, it, it has to be, right? And it's re really important. And uh, statistics show over and over that uh, that's uh, the first line of defense a lot of times and the first vulnerability. MK. Palo Alto is right smack in the middle of this ecosystem. They're right uh, meshed into this fabric. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in, uh, in sort of from, from a Palo Alto perspective. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah. Luke, first of all, thanks for having Palo Alto be a uh, participant in this uh, very esteemed panel. Uh, I as well uh, have just completed a 32-year uh, uh, career of service with the federal government and my last stint, uh, uh, or the last 22 years, as a uh, FBI agent. And so, uh, uh, to my colleagues uh, on the panel who continue the fight uh, in terms of the posturing for their security apparatus within the federal government, I understand your pain, uh, and I, I think that um, uh, I applaud you for continuing the efforts that you uh, are engaged in in terms of fortifying your, uh, your, your networks and trying to keep, uh, keep your employees and everyone safe. So uh, Palo Alto Networks is in a unique position uh, now to understand uh, where we need to be uh, headed in the future. We kind of keep focused on three things, um, securing the enterprise, securing the cloud, and securing the future. If we dig a little deeper into those three concepts, uh, we're talking about securing the enterprise. And so for my colleagues on the panel, uh, their enterprises today continue to uh, grow, uh, really explode. Uh, most enterprises are global nowadays, and so there's still a need, as one of uh, the panelists said, uh, to pay attention to the fundamentals. You know, uh, your um, uh, connectivity to your networks now is extended uh, tremendously. You have folks, uh, even in government service, using mobile devices, all manner of connectivity to the networks, and so there's a need to pay attention to those fundamentals in terms of securing the um, interaction that your employees have uh, within those networks. Um, securing the cloud, uh, you know, most of these agencies are in a period of uh, transition, moving uh, to a cloud architecture or a cloud structure in some way, shape, or form. And so at Palo Alto Networks, we understand that there are unique security issues associated with cloud transformations, and we uh, intend to be the cybersecurity partner of choice in helping these uh, organizations transition to the cloud. And securing the future uh, for us one of my colleagues here uh, mentioned the need for automation. Uh, we understand that, you know, in an environment nowadays, especially, for instance, a SOC environment, uh, analysts are looking at thousands of alerts uh, during the course of a day. Uh, and so automation needs to play a part in uh, bringing those alerts down to something definable that a, you know, small contingent of folks can take a look at and really begin to dig deeply into uh, the most important alerts that they encounter during the course of a day.
There's not enough professionals to do it from manual. You have to automate these capabilities to do it properly. That's a, that's a, that's a given. Well, we're going to take a short back break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Only one conference gives you access to not just the policy issues facing our nation, but hands-on experience with disruptive security that applies AI and automation to the complex and rapidly evolving cyber threats we face as a nation. Prevent successful attacks. Focus on what matters. Don't miss the Palo Alto Network's Federal Ignite Conference, October 10th and 11th at the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center. Register today at ignitefed.paloaltonetworks.com. Government professionals know their security risks, and status quo is not an option. In response, federal agencies are focusing on modernization options that enable advanced and integrated cybersecurity strategies. Agencies today can take proactive steps to reduce complexity, risk, and cost with powerful security from Fortinet Federal, a trusted U.S. partner. Find out how to enable rapid communications, manage borderless infrastructures, and mitigate threats at machine speed. For more, see FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business admission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash U.S. backslash gov automation. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Wanda Jones-Heath with U.S. Air Force, Amma Cole with Customs and Border Protection, Tony Hubbard with KPMG, Venus Goodwine with USDA, Jim Richburg with Fortinet, Greg Crabb at United States Postal Service, and MK, MK Palmore with Palo Alto Networks. Well, we're talking about cybersecurity. Wanted to get into a question about um, priorities for next year. We'll talk about the future towards the end of the show, but let's just talk about you know what does a roadmap look like for next year? Venus, let's start with you in regards to USDA. Well, what, are, what are your priorities for next year? Yeah, I have three priorities. I need to inculcate a culture of cybersecurity at USDA. Wow. Many, How many employees at USDA? Over 100,000. Wow. And, and, and the reason that's important is because, as you mentioned, every individual is a sensor for me that will let me know exactly what's happening in the cyber ecosystem. Or an attack vector. Absolutely. Right? For sure, right? Yeah. Um, but also um, just, just making sure that cybersecurity is baked in and not bolted on. We, we say that all the time, but we need to continue to beat that drum because it is definitely cheaper to do it up front mm -hmm. and to try to do it on the end. My other priority is going to be, we talked about automation, USD has taken on robotics process automation, RPA. So we want to use that in our risk management program to wow. see how we can then automate some of our compliance activities so mm -hmm. that we can use that staff, because as we know, cybersecurity professionals, there is a shortage, high demand, low supply. And then also the last thing is really, we talked about earlier, I heard on the panel that you can't protect everything. 
So really protecting my crown jewels. If I had one cyber dollar, where would I spend it? Yeah. And so managing that program and elevating that program and then making sure that my um, the leadership can make risk-based decisions. So right. those are I mean, the things I'm, I'm focused on. Sure, that risk-based management is mm -hmm. really important, including about where you put your investments, right? Absolutely. It's really critical. Mm -hmm. MK, how about at Palo Alto? Uh, what's uh, What's on the docket for next year in regards to uh, priorities? Yeah, fantastic question. So uh, to sort of elaborate on a portion of my last answer, really the transition to the cloud, uh, I think, is where our, our interests lay in the, in the coming year. Uh, certainly, uh, as we mentioned, uh, many organizations are at various aspects in terms of their transition to the cloud. What we try and do is help them understand uh, that in cloud architecture, uh, there are still security concerns, either in public, uh, private, or, or hybrid models oh, yeah. uh, in terms of the cloud. Uh, and so uh, it, it, in executing that transition, many, uh, I think, um, uh, lapse or forget the idea that although you're, uh, there's a shared responsibility model as it relates to security, there are still security issues that the uh, folks who own the data uh, need to understand and make sure that they implement along the way. Uh, the second thing I would key in on uh, after uh, cloud transformations or cloud architecture uh, certainly would be that automation piece. Um, Palo Alto Networks has made some acquisitions within the past year, I think, that lend ourselves and really dive deeply into the automation aspect of, uh, again, a, a portion of the answer that I gave during the last uh, segment. And that's this idea that, uh, again, you know, the attackers are certainly using automation uh, in terms of how it is that they're coming at our networks. Uh, and so the expectation that you're going to have people on the other side battling what right. is really an automated attack, uh, you're setting yourself up really to lose in that gamble. And so at Palo Alto Networks, we understand that. We, we feel that, again, uh, if you implement automation in the right way, uh, that you can, again, drill down into the most uh, necessary and focused alert so that you can spend time really on the things that are impacting your network. Yeah, really sort of scrape back and find the needle and the stack of needles kind of thing, right? Um, um, how about at, uh, at Customs and Border Protection? What are, what are your priorities? You've got a lot, of, a lot of moving parts going on over there these days. What's the priorities for next year? Yeah, so we're really looking hard at what we have with our data, what data we have right now, and actually how we better utilize that data. And we're trying to get away from some of the tool-centric approaches to be a much more neutral uh, approach that uses more APIs uh, that actually and focuses on on uh, starting to automate what we have, and then starting to better share information uh, machine to machine at you know at machine speed across the department. So we've talked a lot about uh, Security Operations Center, and we now have a standard for how we actually go out and assess Security Operations Centers within DHS. Mm. We think that's a, a really really important thing for us to make sure we're at the right level, and if we're not, that we can go seeking services. But part of that discussion has been around well, how much tool consolidation do we need to be doing. And uh, what we found is that uh, you know, right now we actually can set up an architecture so that we can actually share data from tools in a neutral way that is not dependent on having this tool or that tool, but they actually can, can essentially um, uh, be a, a, a neutral conduit for being able to, to not only provide that data, then also to be able to automate actions based on whatever the results are we're seeing. So the outcome then is that at the department level, they can have a dashboard, they can see everything that's happening at the component level that meet their requirements so they can know what's happening with either vulnerabilities 
or with cyber threats. And at the component level, uh, we can have visibility to what's happening at the department. And then as things are happening, either at the component or the department, that we can automate those responses uh, from back and forth from one to the other uh, to assure that not only we can respond quickly, but also that we're really making effective use of the resources that we have within DHS. Sure, and uh, you know, sort of a federated approach. Uh, you know, different ways mm -hmm. to go about the same uh, same uh, sort of uh, problem set, if you will, same sort of challenge, same sort of priority, if you will. Uh, Jim, how about at Fortinet? Uh, tell us about uh, what's on the docket as far as priorities for Fortinet. So thanks, Luke. I'd, I'd like to key on three in particular. The first would be OT or operational technology. The second would be AI machine learning. And the third would be services. And, and looking at the vision I laid out for what a unified platform ecosystem approach can do for you, I think we all, as CIOs and CSOs, gravitated to IT. But that's also equally applicable to OT. Now, we may have, with the exception of my colleague, fewer actual plant floors where we do operational things. But there is some of it in government. And certainly, that's a big priority in, in the private sector. And even at the edge, that's one where AI becomes very important because you may have you may have an OT environment that is less connected to the internet. Therefore, that places more of a premium on the ability to have local autonomy in terms of being able to defend it. Uh, AI is again integral to being able to do the kind of automation at scale that we described. And we're not newcomers to AI. We've been using it in a production environment since 2011. The bulk of the signatures of malicious activity we actually generate are done totally by machine. Uh, we're on our sixth generation of deployed technology, mm -hmm. but like fine wine, it takes time to cultivate and curate AI, and there's always room for another turn of the crank. And the third issue of services, that entire approach of, of a unified ecosystem I described may sound very hardware-centric, but it actually has a service dimension to it as well, because the same kind of instrumentation that you have out there allows you to do things like real-time asset inventory. We all deal with the issue of shadow IT, and, and how can you defend something on your network that you don't even know you have? But the same kinds of presence and instrumentation can in real-time keep an inventory of devices, of accounts, and of uh, and of uh, of software and platforms. Sure, so that age-old issue of you know what is on my network. And speaking of OT, I know there's a lot of OT over at uh, the Postal Service. Greg, why don't you tell us about some priorities for the next year at the Postal Service? Absolutely. The, the three priorities that uh, I'm looking at for next fiscal year are privileged access management. Uh, identity lifecycle management, and secure coding practices. And uh, my leadership team and I have been doing a lot of benchmarking with not only other government agencies, but academia and private industry in, as well. And identity is becoming the new perimeter. And so the investments that we're making in our identity lifecycle management uh, practice, I think are gonna set us up to be able to make strong transitions to the cloud and <clears throat> be able to interact with these different technologies in a more secure way. And so uh, the alignment that, that we're making around the recent OMB guidance on identity, credential, and access management that was issued in May uh, really set us, has set us a path to be able to, uh, to reach that future of a, of a strong identity perimeter. Yeah, you know, again, back to that zero trust conversation and 
we really realize that identity and identity management is the name of the game, right? I mean, that, that's, uh, that's the play uh, as you look at sort of these new techniques of securing the environment. Wanda, how about the Air Force? Uh, what does what the priorities for next year look like? Um, so <clears throat> we have a, a, a lot of different priorities, but as the Air Force is under a transformational state, um, as we move towards our digital uh, roadmap, mm -hmm. um, cybersecurity is definitely a key point and interest as we try to understand where we are and where we're going. Um, some of the things that I'm going to continue to work, of course, is risk management. Um, uh, one of the colleagues already talked about, you know, the OT community, the PIT community, as well as well as our traditional IT. So for me, cybersecurity means that I must protect in every environment, but it, it does require a different approach. I'm also um, looking at automation. Um, I am in tool overload, but how do we take advantage? Tool overload. Yes. How okay. do we take advantage of the tools we have, and then share those across yeah. the different um, platforms? Um, and systems in our entire ecosystem. And lastly, of course, the people. Um, we have some great people, great skills. We just need to make sure that we're using them in the right places where we can have an advantage over the adversary. Sure, um, uh, really important to be able to do that, enable every capability that these uh, the workforce has available to them and to maximize, to fight the good fight, right? Tony, how about at KPMG? Tell us about some priorities for next year. Well, certainly, I think, staying on the theme of a lot of my colleagues, and I'll say, I think it really gets back again to focusing on that mission resilience concept and, and having an inventory of your devices, knowing your environment, knowing your network. And, and that really feeds into one of the topics we haven't talked a lot about yet is around your supply chain and your third-party providers, because mm -hmm. you look at a lot of the breaches that have occurred, many times it's been around your third-party yeah, ecosystem. It's collateral systems, right? Yeah, Those tertiary so, systems, yeah. And what we're finding is many times, uh, I think there's still a perception that if we're outsourcing this capability or that capability or we're relying on a third party that you know, we just kind of wash our hands and say that's, that's their job, and, and obviously it's, 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 it's our data as an agency, and so we got to make sure that we have a good solid inventory of those third-party providers, a good vendor risk management program, so that we're kind of monitoring the controls around that. So I think that's the critical part of that mission resilience concept. And then just to stay on the theme of automation, as you said, Luke, there's just no way we're going to be able to throw enough cybersecurity professionals at these challenges. So automation around some of the more mundane tasks, you know, audit trail reviews, uh, access management, account provisioning, so that our best and brightest cybersecurity professionals could focus on these more challenging tasks is going to be absolutely critical as we go forward. It's just not enough manpower realistically to think you're going to be able to properly secure that environment. And these collateral tertiary systems that you talked about, it's not only the, you know, the, the, the vendor, if you will, protecting that data at rest and in that environment, it's the vulnerability of getting into that environment and then you know making its way into uh, into your environment, which is where a lot of these, you know, larger breaches begun, you know, in that sort of a, a configuration like that. Um, well, let's talk about lessons learned. And, you know, as we, we adopt a lot of these capabilities, you know, there's always, as I talked at the beginning of the show, unintended consequences, right? And there's lessons learned positive, and there's lessons learned that are not positive, we'll say. Uh, Venice, let's start with you um, in regards to um, uh, USDA and some lessons learned. Thank you, Luke. I think um, the biggest lesson learned that I would like to share is technology modernization is great. 
but don't forget to modernize your people and their skills. Mm. When we embarked upon doing process automation using RPAs, we started in our chief financial office, office and we automated some disbursements and saved about 75,000 a year and projected to save 2.2 million. But also we saved hours, two to three hours um, per day on individuals. But now the question is, what now do you have those people do? So when we talk about the automation or we talk about the migration to the cloud, let's not forget that we need to modernize probably the skills of the individuals who are doing that work today. Yeah. And so one of the things we're doing at USDA is we're participating in the federal CIO council established or interagency career pathways group. And that group is tasked with taking the 43, well, 43 of the cybersecurity um, NICE codes from the framework and actually creating a roadmap, a career roadmap. And so what that does for me at USDA is helps me to build um, a, a workforce strategy so that I can make sure that the cybersecurity professionals there have the latest, the greatest, and the relevant cybersecurity skills that we need at USDA. Um. Enabling that workforce job one, right? I mean, it's just an absolute must. Um, <clears throat> Jim, let's uh, let's uh, throw it over to Ford and that. Uh, tell us about um, a situation there where uh, lessons learned, you know, maybe a, a positive or a negative. So I'll actually make it very personal. So these are not about Ford and at the company. This I've actually had time to do a lot of reflection about. Things I've learned about cyber since joining the private sector, I wish I'd known when I was still a senior executive in federal service. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you three broad ones. In government, we tend not to understand the full extent to which digital transformation has taken off in the private sector. I mean, we may be moving into the cloud in government. We may be doing X as a service. But if you talk to private sector organizations, they are largely wholly dependent on the internet and, and online capability to be able to function at all. So we didn't, that was one lesson learned, that the private sector is far, far ahead of government in embracing that digital transformation. With it comes risk that they don't always know about, uh, but they recognize that they're heading into uncharted waters. The second is, and I'm coming from the perspective of someone who used to run the National Counterintelligence Program for the federal government, the issue of insider. Now, we all talk about insider threat. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't actually like that term compared to insider risk because, yes, while there are bad apples in every barrel, the, the, the fact is the majority of people are hardworking, dedicated to the organization. But in, in total, there's probably more damage that happens from people accidentally doing harm than intentionally. It's insider risk. If you look at, for instance, in that digital transformation, uh, web applications, uh, their misconfigured web applications used by employees cause a lot of vulnerability sure. that gets exploited. Mm -hmm. uh, people sending emails, they reply to all instead of just to their boss, and therefore they inadvertently send information outside the organization. There are ways of harnessing technology so that you can help people who are trying to do the right thing uh, to do it. And, and then the third is the underappreciated extent to which software-defined networking has been taking off in the in the private sector. Yeah, government gets the cloud. Yes, we get using, you know, fill in the blank as a service. But the fact that you can talk to large private sector organizations where other than corporate headquarters, all of their branch doesn't even have a physical network and a server. Everything is software-defined. So those are three epiphanies, three lessons learned that I've had in my transition from federal service to the private sector. Good stuff. Alma, give me one lesson learned from uh, CBP, positive or negative. 
uh, I, so IT security can't do it alone. You have to really have excellence in IT operations if you want to have a successful and secure enterprise. Uh, we can report all day on vulnerabilities that are discovered, but, but we can't overcome uh, bad IT management practices. So we have to assure, one, that we're not only putting Band-Aids on things, but we're going back and that we're, as an enterprise, addressing uh, systematic legacy issues and, and uh, you know, old bad practices and old stovepipes of information or identities, and that we're overcoming some of those, uh, those legacy challenges and actually building a proper platform to move forward on. And also that we can take, when there are vulnerabilities, when there are other issues, and we have those, that visibility from a security perspective that we can ensure that we have both the right accountability on who's responsible for addressing those issues and then the right governance in place to be able to work with, with our CIO, with other leadership to shine a light in those areas that need to be shined a light on. So as an enterprise, we can focus on those highest risks of the enterprise and then shift those IT resources to addressing those as an organization. Looking back while looking forward. Uh, We're going to take another short break. Uh, You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. From large backlogs and mountains of data to unfunded mandates and spikes in demand, federal agencies face obstacles to efficiently completing business and mission tasks. Intelligent automation can help ease some of the pressure. At KPMG, they help agencies access the full spectrum of intelligent automation so they can deliver greater innovation across their organizations while having a more positive impact on their mission, workforce, and constituents. To learn more, please visit kpmg.com backslash us backslash Government professionals know their security risks, and status quo is not an option. In response, federal agencies are focusing on modernization options that enable advanced and integrated cybersecurity strategies. Agencies today can take proactive steps to reduce complexity, risk, and cost with powerful security from Fortinet Federal, a trusted U.S. partner. Find out how to enable rapid communications, manage borderless infrastructures, and mitigate threats at machine speed. For more, see FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Only one conference gives you access to not just the policy issues facing our nation, but hands-on experience with disruptive security that applies AI and automation to the complex and rapidly evolving cyber threats we face as a nation. Prevent successful attacks. Focus on what matters. Don't miss the Palo Alto Network's Federal Ignite Conference, October 10th and 11th at the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center. Register today at ignitefed.paloaltonetworks.com. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We're talking about cybersecurity strategies, and with me on today's show, Arwana Jones-Heath, U.S. Air Force, Amma Cole with Customs and Border Protection, Tony Hubbard with KPMG, Venus Goodwine with USDA, Jim Richburg with Fortinet, Greg Crabb with United States Postal Service, and M.K. How more with Palo Alto Networks? We were talking about lessons learned, positives and negatives. And MK, let's start with you. Uh, give us some lessons learned about sort of what you guys are seeing out there in the Palo Alto sort of ecosystem uh, that you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, so Luke, <coughs> lessons learned. Um, you, you know, the issue that was brought up uh, earlier in an earlier segment about um, uh, sticking to the fundamentals, sort of basic internet hygiene. Here's what we know. Uh, adversaries are experts at what I call return on investment, right? They uh, identify the easiest way uh, in order to engage and basically execute their fraud. 
uh, in doing that, they're looking for the easiest solution possible for them, the easiest way in. This is why we know that things like misconfiguration, right. um, email uh, attachments, you know, in terms of social engineering and phishing still work for them. And so I think the, the big lesson learned uh, is that paying attention to the fundamentals still makes sense. Uh, and so you need to spend time on that in your environments, making sure that you shore up those fundamentals uh, in addition to looking ahead to the future and trying to make a determination from a strategic standpoint in terms of how you're going to make long-term investments in cybersecurity. But if you're not doing the fundamentals, you still have gaps in your environment. Sure, um, got to got to block and tackle, right? It's table right. stakes. Wanda, how about uh, at uh, Air Force? Can you give us some uh, lessons learned that you're seeing as you're embracing on this journey that you're on? Yes, my colleagues already mentioned um, <clears throat> most of the ones that um, I would definitely echo. Um, starting with cybersecurity is everyone's business. From the top of the chain of leadership all the way to the flight line, um, I as a CISO and my team can't do it all. I have to build partnerships. Um, my colleague here, Alma, talked about how do we partner with those who've already done this or partner with the folks who we need to meet where they are. Every system has different cybersecurity challenges and we have to assess and be able to determine what's the best way to protect those systems. And lastly, leadership. You know, as, as a senior leader in the Air Force, I also need my top cover um, at the Pentagon. Um, I've not um, had any trouble with getting um, support throughout the enterprise. Uh, we have it from the SECAV um, to the undersecretary. So everyone understands um, at the top, that cybersecurity is part of what we need to address as we fly, fight, and win. Sure, and to use a, uh, an Air Force metaphor, you need that air cover, right? Okay. Uh, to make these things happen, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <clears throat> Greg, how about at UPS? Uh, UPS. <laughs> <laughs> at the Postal Service. Sorry about that, Postal <laughs> Service employees. Uh, yes, uh, uh, tell us about some lessons learned there. Absolutely. Executive engagement and buy-in has been critical for the blossoming of my uh, information security practice. Uh, we recently established an executive cyber risk committee that is con uh, comprised of not only the CIO, but uh, general counsel, CFO, the chief human resources officer. Yeah. And we have very robust conversations about the cyber risks that their organization faces and the controls that we have to invest in in order to be able to keep those resources protected. And so uh, that engagement has allowed us to make uh, the types of investments that are necessary in order to be able to properly secure the Postal Service. Yeah, you know, I, I call that uh, sort of C-suite goal congruence, right? When you get that community together and laser focused on that, that end game, um, all of a sudden, you know, things start to happen and go in the right direction. Uh, well, we only have a, a few minutes left, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, talk about painting a picture of the future and just sort of bring us over the horizon a little bit, not into the petri dish, but over the horizon. We're gonna start with you, MK. Uh, tell us about you know what does it look like out there in two or three years? What can we expect from sort of Palo Alto serving this community? Paint us uh, a picture there. Yeah, so I, I'll go back to uh, two of my previous points, which are um, an emphasis on uh, cloud security. Uh, which I think will just become increasingly uh, of importance to many enterprises and organizations, certainly those within the government. And so assisting um, uh, you know, our customers and, and, and others with that transition to the cloud will remain of importance to us. 
Uh, and then secondly, uh, the idea surrounding automation. You know, to the extent that you can <clears throat> both automate within your security environment to uh, lessen the impact on the workforce uh, and uh, automate in terms of sharing of uh, threat intelligence uh, among both customers and others that you uh, frequently share intelligence with. Uh, you know, the, the sharing of intelligence, I think, oftentimes doesn't get enough attention. Um, it, it really, you know, no one has complete oversight or insight into the cyber threat landscape. But together, we all have a pretty decent picture. And so the more that we collaborate and share uh, amongst one another, uh, uh, the more informed I think we all are in terms of providing those defensive mechanisms uh, in our environment. Right. When we fuse together, it's uh, that greater good, uh, particularly in this community of interest. Uh, so. Uh, I get, uh, I get uh, boxes put on my porch on Sunday these days. I get an email in my mailbox that gives me, tells me exactly what's coming in the mail. Well, what can we look for in two to three years from the, from the United States Postal Service? Well, I'm very optimistic about the future from a cybersecurity perspective. However, organizations have to be proactive, and we're taking proactive steps to protect the future of uh, that relationship that we provide to our customers. Uh, the technologies that we're looking at, uh, autonomous technologies, I think will have a big impact and the role of the CISO is going to have to grow into Ooh. one of safety. Uh, and we also have to look at where uh, the IoT devices and, and the interaction and the amount of information data that's going to be exchanged, where 5G is taking us from right. um, an amount of information that's going to be transmitted over the wire all of those things provide a lot of challenges that we're going to have to face, but as long as we are vigilant and evolve with those technologies, we'll be able to meet the future. Wow. Uh, um, uh, we're just talking about 5G. That's going to really be a, a huge enabler for the Postal Service, I'm sure, and everyone else. Jim, how about at Fortinet? What does it look like uh, when we look over the horizon a little bit? So over the horizon is probably farther than two to three years. Uh, and I am not a technology fanboy. Cybersecurity is a combination of people, process or policy, and technology. But I think the combination of this, this platform approach to actually being able to look across my whole surface, coupled with the automation that AI gives us, potentially is a tipping point in cybersecurity. We've always had this truism that we say cybersecurity is hard because the attacker only has to get lucky once, comma, the defense has to be perfect every time. Where the reality is, and I say this as someone who worked the offensive mission, the attacker never sits down, writes something, and has it worked the first time. You try, you try again. What we've allowed them to do is either be undetected, which mm -hmm. often means yeah. we saw it, it was in the audit logs, but we didn't actually look for it in real time and do anything with yeah. it, or we didn't respond to it. If you take that away and say, I see them trying and failing, I can actually immunize everybody against it before they even succeed, that's a game changer. You Instantly. mentioned yeah. zero trust a couple of times, Luke, mm -hmm. and the same kind of instrumentation and and automation driven by AI gives you that visibility and control that actually allows you to move in the direction of zero trust as well. So I think if you put those together, AI plus the ability to instrument things, I think we may actually be able to say we finally are tipping the balance from what are really relatively small malicious actor sets coming against what are relatively large, well-resourced organizations tip it back in our favor. Right, you know, the moment they sort of start to jiggle that doorknob, you instantly want to be able to react to that and let everyone know that and uh, immunize, I like the way you said that. Uh, 
Venus, how about at USDA? Tell us, uh, you know, what, what does it look like as you, uh, you look out there a little bit? What are you guys cooking up there in the... Oh, good. So for USDA, you've already mentioned um, we are all over the place, continental United States and internationally. So what you're going to see from my seat is really that we integrate security requirements into our um, mobile technology. When users are off the network but still have um, government furnished equipment, I want to know what they're doing outside the network. So integrating those requirements is going to be important. And then modernization, we will continue to modernize, modernizing our people, using every opportunity to reskill or rebuild um, our individual cyber professionals, but also modernizing our technology, not just um, I like to say chasing a shiny toy, but making sure that there's a capability being met. And then lastly, you're going to see um, we're going to continue to enhance our cybersecurity governance. You know, just like today, if I want to make changes to my home, I call the HOA. So when, when someone at USDA wants to build something, I want them to know they need to call me first, cybersecurity, to see, one, if it fits within my architecture, or two, if it's defendable. So um, that's what you see on the horizon for at USDA. Yeah, and I would imagine not only build something, but buy something, including Absolutely. a service, right? This gets into these collateral systems mm -hmm. where all of a sudden, you know, um, I'm buying a uh, drug screening service, you know, and, and, and is, is, is that conforming to all the standards um, that are going to serve your needs and make sure that your whole ecosystem stays uh, secure? Uh, Tony, how about at KPMG? I mean, what, what, is that, uh, what does that future look like? I think staying on the theme of automation, a couple of my colleagues have mentioned this, this transition to become more from a reactive to a proactive mindset around cybersecurity, and I think that's just got to that's got to be driven by automations. And, and Venus mentioned a, a great example around robotic robotic process automation (RPA) sure. and using and building on those types of examples, but then even taking it to the next level around machine learning and implementing tools notably around your threat intelligence and your security orchestration model uh, to, to get to the point where you can, these decisions can be made in some cases by machines so that you can get more proactive and put your resources more in a proactive way. Uh, one of the terms we like to use is resilience, proactive cyber resilience that we can wow. kind of uh, try to drive to that, that out kind of, of Webster's Dictionary. I think you just invented a word right there. Uh, it's, yeah. it's been out there for a little while, okay. but we're trying to dust it off and use it a little bit, a little bit more. But I think that kind of sums up. I think where we're all trying to move towards is just become more proactive and, and not be as just waiting for something to happen to us as much. Right, and you get in front of that. I mean, it's a, almost a different kind of offense, not the offense that you're used <clears throat> right, to, but. Right. Uh, uh, Jim over there in his former life, or perhaps even uh, MK may have gotten involved in some of that, but you know, it's just sort of a more of an offensive posture rather than uh, you know waiting for the event to happen, right? Uh, maybe we catch them, uh, you know, pulling in the driveway or looking at the house before they start jiggling the doorknob, mm -hmm. so to speak, using that metaphor. Uh, um, how about at DHS? If I'm showing up there as the deputy CISO in three years and I'm walking into that environment, what am I in for these days? What will I be in for then? Well, so the network modernization is definitely going to be a huge benefit for security as well. So as we look at not only pushing into the cloud, but then taking advantage more of a lot of these internet-based methods of 5G being a perfect example of getting uh, cheap, intense bandwidth out to the right place at the right time, 
That's great, and along with that, we're building in the right security, so that SDN type security where you're only authorizing the right things, the right things can only talk to what it needs to talk to, and we have the right scanning, the right authorization. Really, really, we, we absolutely know what's on the network and we have the right checks happening in an automated fashion, dynamically. So those are all really, really important things for us in the future. Um, we also want to go beyond where we are today, where just we're alerting on a lot of things for SOC. We definitely want to be doing proactive data protection, and we're, right now we're implementing DLP controls. We'll be hitting that really, really hard in the future to where uh, you know, we're, we're actually dynamically blocking any sort of issues instead of just alerting and then investigating later on. And then finally, third-party risk is, is definitely a big area for us. Sure. We've done a lot of work in third-party risk when it comes to managing our close partners and now we're looking at how we open up that lens and we look at what's the next layer and how do we manage the rest of the of the partners that we're dealing with without necessarily having to go out and you know do certifications and accreditation on everybody that we touch right you know it's like you started with your high value assets sort of internally and now you're sort of going out into your version of a high value asset if you will and on your external systems and then taking that down uh, tier after tier it's Tricky area, right? Really important. Wanda, how about at the Air Force? What, what does that future look like when, when we look out? Just keeping you know, um, post F thirty five, right? right? Keeping focus on cybersecurity, continuing our risk risk management um, approach, using bug bounty, pen testing, um, other industry um, approaches as we move towards zero trust networking, five G. Um, some of the other challenges, we want to make sure IoT, you know, we have a lot of things going on on our network. Just staying vigilant, um, understanding that cybersecurity um, it never stops, and that we continue to um, ensure that we integrate everything we do and think about cybersecurity on the front end. Yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, well, of course, you got a big footprint in IoT, but you also have all those embedded environments, right, and all those aircraft, et cetera. That's got to be tricky. Well, we like to always go into the bonus round here, and I'll, I'll ask the feds first. And uh, um, and this one is in regards to challenges. Um, I'll start with you, Wanda. What's your, what's your, do you look into the future? you want to paint a picture? We heard it just a moment ago. What, what's the number one challenge for you guys? I would say I have two. Uh, the defense industrial base, um, we focus a lot on IT in, in the wire. So I, I want to do more with our uh, partners outside defense. Um, they produce, they build, um, they do a lot of things on behalf of the Air Force and we need to make sure that we are lockstep with yeah. them, ensuring they understand what our cybersecurity requirements are so that I don't get the breach, I don't get the challenges yep. um, from the adversary, so that that's one area, and then just staying uh, vigilant with cybersecurity. Similar to what Alma was talking about, Alma, number one challenge. Uh, in, insiders always going to be the biggest challenge that we're going to have because we have people that we need to let onto our network that we do trust, and we need to make sure that we're still you know, verifying as we're doing that trust. You know, moving beyond that. Um, obviously, it's it's the same as you. The vast variety of things that we need to make sure we're supporting on the network, as far as a, a IoT challenge goes, and we're keeping pace with the mission. Keeping it all buttoned up. All right, we're going to roll down the line. Uh, USDA funding. 
Funding. Wow. Put, put it right out there. You well, heard it, budget. You heard it, OMB. Funding. Well, and in a different twist, though, USDA is funded different ways. Yep. Fee-based organization, mm -hmm. grant organization, yep. working capital fund, and appropriate. Number so. one funding. It's the United States Postal <laughs> Service. <laughs> Number one. International cyber threats. We've wow. got to keep our eye on the adversary and understand their capabilities and how to defend our networks. I'd like to thank all of you today for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedules and joining us for the program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Do Not Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of the show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.